These last two chapters talk about how we are to behave in our communities, how we're to behave with our neighbors, how, how we're to act with our fellow believers, especially when we disagree. And where the first 11 chapters of Romans were filled with declarations about us and about Jesus and about our salvation, like the wrath of God is revealed from heaven and we are inexcusable and we have peace with God through Jesus and there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Starting with chapter 12, which we hit on last week, we get some imperatives, some pointers, some statements that actually tell us what to do. And as Jasmine pointed out last week, it all starts with a therefore in chapter 12. Therefore, in light of all of the declarations, in light of all of the groundbreaking, life-changing theology of chapters 1 through 11, here's how we ought to live. Last week we saw in Romans 12 that one imperative is to live by mercy, to understand the great mercy we have received from God through Jesus, and to be merciful to others. And then we come to chapter 13, which addresses how we as God's people ought to relate to society. We'll spend our time focused in the first half of Romans, which talks about how we're supposed to relate to earthly authorities. So I'll go ahead and reread the scripture, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Romans 13, 1 and 2, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Pray with me. Father, we're just so grateful that we get to gather in your presence. And we just ask that your spirit speak to us this morning, that you challenge us, that you give us wisdom, that you show us how we ought to live and relate to authority. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so before we get into the meat of the message, I just want to say up front that I actually struggled putting together this week's message uh, for a few reasons. First, uh, if you go back six months ago in the archives, Kara actually preached a really great sermon on authority, and so I wasn't sure if there was going to be much new to say. Uh, second, it just felt so boring to me, especially compared to the heights of Romans that we've been in, where we've seen the realities of redemption from sin and death and condemnation and the victory and glory we have by walking in, in the Spirit. And so compared to all of that, a message on doing what we're told to do just kind of felt boring. But over the course of this week, I came to believe that the charge from Romans 13 is a really important message for our time. The world is going through a major anti-authority streak. People don't want to be told what to do by anyone. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I'm someone who struggles with authority. My natural tendency is to be a rebel. And that tendency is sweeping across society. Every individual wants to be the chief authority in everything. We see this everywhere, in how we respond to government mandates, in how we respond to leadership in the workplace, to medical authorities, to flight attendants. Final reason I struggled is because my struggle with authority actually goes in both directions. Not only do I struggle with being told what to do, I actually struggle with telling people what to do. So it's uncomfortable for me to sit up here and share a whole message on how we're all supposed to do as we're told and respect and submit to authority. God's kind of funny that way. Oftentimes the messages we struggle most with are the ones that need preaching, so here we go. So when it comes to authority, it wouldn't be crazy for someone who's come to follow Jesus to think we can do away with all earthly authority. Language throughout the Gospels and throughout Romans presents this kingdom where Jesus is the one to whom we owe all our allegiance. 
So it's easy to think that earthly authorities have been replaced by this new heavenly authority in Jesus and that we don't have to respect or obey earthly authorities. We might think the only authority that we're supposed to submit to is God. But what we find in Romans 13 is exactly the opposite. Far from telling us to reject earthly authority, Paul tells us to submit to earthly authorities and to obey them. And as usual, Paul is just following Jesus in this. There's that story in the Gospels where the religious leaders, trying to set a trap for Jesus as they normally do, are asking him whether or not they should be paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus says that famous line, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Jesus says respect and obey the law and pay the tax. Rather than reject the earthly authority, we're to recognize and submit to it. But why? Why should we? We'll answer that question in three parts this morning. First, we just set a foundation with a biblical overview of authority. What is it? Where does it come from? How does it work? Second, we'll look at some of the inappropriate ways that we respond to authority and how we should respond instead. And third, we'll look at why it all matters. So let's start with a biblical overview of authority. I wanna make a handful of observations here. The first observation is the simple truth that God is the ultimate authority. He governs all of creation. Nothing happens apart from his deciding that it will happen. Everything that happens is his call. All throughout scripture we see this, but I love the way it's put in Psalm 135, which says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Whatever he wants is what happens. At the end of Matthew, Jesus declares, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God our Father, his son Jesus, and his Holy Spirit possess ultimate authority and govern everything that happens on heaven and on earth. The second observation follows from the first, which is that if God is the ultimate authority, and all, then all human authority therefore comes from God. Any authority that a human being or institution has is derived from God whether that's the authority vested in political leaders, business leaders, organizational leaders, church leaders, family leaders, all of it comes from and is derived from God. Once again, this is echoed throughout scripture, but it's best demonstrated by Jesus while he's on trial about to be executed in John 19. Jesus is silent. He won't answer to his charges. And Pilate says to him, are you really not going to speak with me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? And Jesus responds, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Even this authority that Pilate has over Jesus's very life has been given to him by God. All human authority is from God. And so these first two observations, that God is the ultimate authority and that all human authority comes from God leads to a third observation, which is that all earthly authority is to be recognized, respected, submitted to, and obeyed, and with very limited exceptions. And we'll touch on the exceptions in a bit because I know some of us are squirming in our seats feeling uncomfortable about a blanket statement like that about authority. But first, I just wanna be very clear up front about this, and a military analogy is really helpful. Marcy, please set me straight if I mess this up. 
In the military, there's the idea of a chain of command. Generals give commands to colonels, who give commands to majors, who give commands to captains, and then first lieutenants, and then second lieutenants, and then the enlisted soldiers, and I'm sure I skipped some ranks there. But the idea of the chain of command is that you have to obey your superior officers. Refusing to do so, something called insubordination, and results in being kicked out of the military with dishonorable discharge. Similarly, a chain of authority exists for each of us, and each of us is accountable for how well we submit to those above us in our chain of authority. Which means that we're supposed to recognize, respect, and submit to the laws of our government, the directives of our managers at work, and the wishes of our parents. Oftentimes, people like me, who are naturally skeptical of authority, tend to think that recognizing God as the ultimate authority means recognizing him as the only authority and not giving any deference to the lesser authorities that he has put in place. And the Bible's very clear that God does not like it when people don't submit to the lesser authorities that he has instituted. One book of scripture is particularly packed with examples of how God really doesn't like this, and that's the book of Numbers. Numbers happens right after God has rescued the Israelites from Egypt and can be summed up in a nutshell as God's people complain over and over and over again about everything. He gives them manna, literally bread from heaven raining down on them, and they complain that it's not tasty enough like the meat that they had in slavery. And they direct most of their complaints towards their leader, a guy named Moses. This is one of those moments when it's really awkward to have the same name as a Bible character. And on a couple different occasions, some people question the legitimacy of his leadership and whether he should be in charge, his own brother and sister say to him, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And then there's a group of people that say to Moses, you've gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? It doesn't end well for the folks in either of those scenarios. Moses' sister is struck with leprosy, and in the second scenario, all of those people meet a tragic end. And that's all to show is that it's a big deal to God that the chain of authority is respected, that those he's given authority to are submitted to. The reason for this is that God knows, and we know, that groups of people need authority in order to function. Society can't really function if laws aren't followed, a business can't succeed if workers don't follow the directives of their managers, an army can't achieve victory if the soldiers don't follow the orders of their commanding officers. So the chain of authority is really important. Now what about corrupt or abusive authority, we might ask? We might think that an authority's legitimacy is completely undermined when it shows itself to be corrupt or abusive. For example, we might think that we don't have to submit to the legitimate laws of corrupt or oppressive governments. This is what the religious leaders were hoping Jesus would say when they tried to set the trap for him on the question of taxes. They knew, and Jesus knew, that the Roman government was oppressive and corrupt. And they heard Jesus talking about a different and superior kingdom. And so they figured, Jesus must believe we don't have to submit to this corrupt government and that we can ignore their tax laws. And Jesus says the opposite. He says, you're supposed to pay the taxes. You're supposed to submit to the authority of the Roman government. You're supposed to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, regardless of Caesar's oppression and abuse and corruption. Caesar's authority as a ruler is not delegitimized by Caesar's abuse and corruption. 
Another great example of this is King Saul in the Old Testament. Saul is Israel's first king. And after disobeying God on multiple occasions, God tells Saul that he's choosing a different king. He anoints David. And Saul doesn't go quietly. He wants to kill David and remove the challenge to his kingship. It's a biblical game of thrones. And David has the chance to kill Saul a number of different times, and yet he refuses saying, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to Saul, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Even after Saul has abused his authority as king and disobeyed God, even after God tells Saul that eventually he will lose his kingdom, even after Saul used his authority as king to persecute David, David's response is to submit to Saul's authority and say, this is God's anointed, and dare not put out my hand and harm him. So what are the actual exceptions? Is someone who has this tendency to be a rebel, when I read Romans 13 and see the charge submit to authority, when I see this reinforced in scripture through examples like the story of David with Saul, I get squeamish, I get uncomfortable, and I immediately tend to bring up things like what about corrupt authority? What about evil authority? What about all the ways authority has been used to hurt and trample people? What about all the corrupt and oppressive and evil systems that were only dismantled because some people were brave enough to resist? And I used to think this was a major contradiction in scripture. On the one hand, you have verses that say submit to earthly authority. And on the other hand, you have many examples of resistance to earthly authority clearly being commended by God. Daniel refuses to pray. Daniel refuses to stop praying to God and he's thrown into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down to the golden image and they're thrown in the fiery furnace. The apostles refuse to stop preaching the name of Jesus and they're thrown into prison. So which is it? Are we supposed to obey authorities or not? It goes back to the chain of authority. Remember, God is the ultimate authority and all earthly authorities come from him. So it's only when earthly authority comes into direct conflict with God's divine authority that we're supposed to defy the earthly authority and submit to God's divine authority instead. God commands his people to pray. There's a law prohibiting prayer. That's in direct conflict with God's command. So Daniel breaks the law and prays. God prohibits his people from worshiping idols. There's a law commanding idol worship. That's in direct conflict with God's prohibition. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego break the law and refuse to worship the idol. Jesus commands his apostles to spread the gospel. A law against spreading the gospel is in direct conflict with Jesus's command. So the apostles break the law and spread the gospel. And when there's direct conflict, we're meant to say as the apostles did, we ought to obey God rather than men. But also as these cases demonstrate, obeying God rather than men often means submitting to the consequences of disobeying earthly authorities, being thrown in a lion's den or a fiery furnace or in prison. Last thing on this, we obey God rather than men when the earthly authority of man comes in direct conflict with God's divine authority. Direct conflict is the operative phrase there. If God is silent on the matter, or we believe God to be silent on the matter, there's no direct conflict and we're supposed to submit to the earthly authority. You know, 10 years ago, I started attending community group at this church and it was the beginning of my journey renewing my faith and my relationship with God. 
And in community group, we were talking about using pot. And I said to my group, oh, you know, there's nothing in the Bible against it, which would probably require a very lax reading of scripture. And one of the guys turns to me and he says, dude, you shouldn't use pot because it's illegal. And that was a stunning revelation to me as somebody who's a rebel type. Even if I thought God condones this thing because I think it's harmless, even if I thought the Bible doesn't say anything about it, I shouldn't do it because it's illegal. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. It doesn't mean we just get to do whatever. We still ought to submit to earthly authorities on that issue. So that's the foundation, a biblical overview of authority. There's God's ultimate divine authority over everything, and there's earthly authority, all of which comes from him. And God wants us to submit to earthly authority. And the only exception is when there's direct conflict between the earthly authority and God's authority. So now we know, now that we know what earthly, now that we know what authority is and how we're supposed to respond to it, let's look at some of the ways that we get this wrong, some of the inappropriate responses we have to authority. Sometimes we disregard authority for our own preferences, especially when there's a low probability of consequence. We might speed, we might skirt taxes, we might ignore local mandates, all sorts of things that seem like nothing, seem so tiny that we might do to disregard authority. You know, a pervasive saying these days in business culture is ask forgiveness rather than permission. That's a total disregard for authority. And rather than disregard authority, the appropriate response is to, su to, is to submit, even when there's not gonna be a consequence, even if we know we're not gonna get caught, even when some pain is involved or takes away some benefit or pleasure. If there are ways we feel fine skirting rules because no one's going to catch us no matter how minor that's not okay and the appropriate response is to respect the authority and submit to it the second way that we respond inappropriately to authority is sometimes we test and question authority we set our own standards and require that someone in authority meet them before we deem them worthy of submission if our bosses rise to our standards of intelligence, thoughtfulness, care, humility, then we'll do what they say. If the authority passes muster with us, then we'll submit. This is what the Pharisees were always trying to do with Jesus when they said, by what authority do you do this? Show us a sign. By what authority are you doing miracles and forgiving sins? And Jesus knew they were testing him and they didn't play into it. He knew that's not how it goes. Instead of testing and questioning, the appropriate response is to reverse the order. Rather than questioning first and saying we'll submit if the authority meets our standards, instead we're supposed to submit first and seek understanding after. And we find when we do that, understanding flows more freely. This is what Jesus did with his apostles. He rarely gave those that were testing and questioning his authority a direct, straight answer. Much, he was much more open with those who were already committed to following him. He would use confusing parables when the Pharisees were around. But for those who committed to following him, he was careful to explain and help them understand. It's because they didn't require understanding as a gating factor. They submitted first and allowed understanding to follow. Another way that we respond inappropriately to authority is we demand that those in authority see things our way when we disagree. We refuse to move forward until the authority bends to our direction. 
We might do this through sheer stubbornness. We might do it through manipulation, falsely presenting a situation such that they see it the way we want. Or we might, or we might manipulate the situation by rallying others to see things our way and making it harder for that authority to go in a different direction. And rather than manipulating or stonewalling, the appropriate response is to respectfully voice disagreement and then submit and move forward. One good example of this is Peter when he meets Jesus. He's been fishing all night and caught nothing. And Jesus says, lower the net on the side of the boat again. And Peter says, teacher, we've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing. And then he goes on to say, but because you say so, I will. And of course, there's a huge catch. The best example of this, though, is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he's going to the cross. He's in agony, praying to the Father. And he says, if possible, if there's any way I can get out of this, please don't make me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's how we're meant to respond to authority. Instead of stonewalling or manipulating, we respond as Jesus did. I'd prefer not to, but because you say so, I will. So why does all this matter? Why is it important that we respond to authority this way? First reason is that when we submit to authority, it makes those who have authority over us, those who have responsibility for us, it makes that responsibility joyful and not burdensome. Hebrews 13, 17 says, do this, submit to those in authority so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. There's two components here. First, if we wanna demonstrate love toward those in authority and make it so they have joy in their responsibility for us, submitting to their authority is crucial. Chafing at their authority just makes them annoyed and we become a thorn in their side. But second, it doesn't ultimately benefit us to defy authority. We may feel like there is some benefit to us having our own way, but those in authority have responsibility over us. So if they see us as burdensome, ultimately that's not gonna be good for us. And second, submitting to authority is a display of integrity that will attract people to following the way of Jesus, especially the way the world is, where everyone's their own chief authority. Someone who willingly submits to authority, who doesn't have to have their own way, there's something powerful, something incredibly solid in that. You know, before they passed the law prohibiting prayer that got Daniel thrown in the lion's den, they said about him, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Can the same be said of us? Are we that solid? Are we that upright? Or would people be able to level charges against us based on how we defy authority? And the last reason this matters goes all the way back to the beginning. God is the ultimate authority. But if we can't submit to earthly authorities, we're gonna have an even harder time submitting to God's ultimate authority. We like to think that the reason that we have a hard time submitting is because people in authority are flawed or corrupt. We like to think we'd have an easier time submitting to God because we know that he's trustworthy and good. But in reality, our ability to submit to earthly authority says more about us than it does about the authority. 
when we have a hard time submitting to earthly authority, it doesn't indicate that God is on the throne of our own hearts. It indicates that we are on the throne of our own hearts. It indicates that we want to be in charge. You know who else wanted to be in charge when it wasn't his place? The devil himself. You know, for a long time I viewed my skepticism of authority as a feature in my programming, a strength of my character rather than a weakness, and God had to show me that it wasn't. That this posture toward authority was an essence of the devil. That this posture toward authority is Satan's posture toward God. Paradise Lost, the classic poem by John Milton, illustrates it amazingly. After he's been expelled from heaven, Satan wakes up in hell and he begins this monologue which concludes with him saying, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. When we choose to defy earthly authority, we choose the way of the one who says it's better to reign even in hell than to serve. We can choose that way, or we can choose the way of Jesus, who the Bible says did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, who the Bible says came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, who demonstrated that for our sake, to redeem and restore us, he would rather serve on earth and go through hell than reign in the comfort of heaven. Will we be like our Lord Jesus and serve? Will we be like him and submit even to earthly authority? Let's pray. Father, these are hard, and challenging words. And I know I feel it. I feel the desire to be in charge. I feel the desire to disregard the authorities that you have put in place, but help us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be like you to submit, to not be the ones on the throne of our own hearts, to be able to serve. We know we can only do this by the power of your Holy Spirit, and so we invite your Spirit now to change us, to help us see your way. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.